Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I'm Ron Kolick, and with me, of course, all the way from the Red Dragon and other strange stuff is the gold standard and ghost hunter Steve? I am. It's just Skype just cut out just as you spoke. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, that's spooky. You're back from your trip to Ensley or whatever the hell it was? Anglesey, yes. I'm I'm back from visiting the McDonald's in Anglesey. Yeah. The time. Anyways, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the following day I had a cohort of yours, uh, Mr. Dylan Jones, on the radio. I did notice, I did see um, that he'd appeared. He keeps turning us down when I ask him. Perhaps you've got, uh, you've got the charm. Yeah, well, I'm American. He likes American. Joe. Anything American he likes. At the moment, a- yeah. yeah. <laughs> True. So I, I try to get him to, uh, you know, because for those who don't know, uh, Dylan is also a member of Parascience and uh, mm. trying to get him to spill the beans on Parascience and how it, it is working with you. And he, he held true to the line. He, uh, you know, didn't say anything. For not allowed to. On pain of death. Much to my disappointment. Parascience is like Fight Club. Oh, it is? <laughs> yeah, and the first rule of Parascience is... Don't mention Fight Club. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Dylan has been a member for, uh, well, first of all, you know, a lot of people don't know about Parascience, believe it or not, especially here in the States. Uh, how long has Parascience been around? Uh, this year it's 20, 27 or 28 years. And now are you counting that as you take all the experience from each of the members? No, 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 no. That that, that <laughs> is from the date of the foundation of Parascience, mm-hmm. um, which was founded uh, by myself and Anne Winsper. Uh, after we, we'd become, we'd been involved in a local paranormal team uh, where we met, and we'd become somewhat disillusioned by the methods and techniques that they were using, most of which related to fraud. And... Um, we we decided that we would be better. Well, actually, they threw us out, if I'm honest. Yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> because they didn't like getting caught. Uh, or yeah, at least the, the chairman didn't like getting caught. Because Anne and I had a, a desire to do things properly, but also a penchant for equipment. And uh, we, we brought along one or two items of uh, equipment. Back in those days, it was fairly rudimentary. Obviously, we had... Um, uh, video recorders, obviously we had audio recorders, which I think then were Sony mini discs. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly with the other group, yeah, we were using the Sony mini disc at one point. And um, we, what we found is that the paranormal activity that we were capturing, or that they claiming that they were claiming to capture, 
we were quite readily able to explain because they were doing it. And um, they then decided that they didn't like the equipment being used because, it, according to the, the chairman of the group at the time, uh, it put the spirits off, that the spirits didn't like it, and it was affecting the quality of the investigation. Oh, my God, yeah. Everybody knows everything about what the spirits like and don't like, don't they? Yeah. So um, it came to a head during the presentation of evidence on one occasion at a, at a group meeting where the chairman presented the evidence from a recent investigation, and we showed the evidence from one of our rudimentary uh, back then, but it was uh, one of these CCTV cameras, and uh, it showed the chairman actually tampering with the location. Really? He denied it. We had a fight, and we got thrown out. Uh, to wit end, we formed. We decided to form a group that would only use scientific principles uh, in its quest for answers. The group was called Paranormal Science. In fact, the group still is called Paranormal Science. Oh, no, but, I never knew that. Uh, that's why it has the weird spelling of the para separated by the period and then the recapitalization of the science when it's fully spelled properly. Um, to, because we just shortened it <laughs> because paranormal science was just a, a mouthful. But that is the official name of the group. Uh, but down the years, it's just become well-known as Parascience, and I guess kind of that is now the official name of the group. So when you founded this new group, and, and I'm sure yeah. your, your, your thoughts have changed through the years. Through the oh, incredibly, years. incredibly. Yeah. Is, what was the, you know, what was the, I guess, the, the purpose of the group? Was it, what was, yeah, well, what was the, the purpose of the group? What was its uh, mission statement, basically? Its mission statement was to find answers to the questions that Anne and I had at the time. What is a ghost? How do they manifest? Uh, what causes them? How do they affect people? It wasn't in any way altruistic. This was entirely selfish. Mm -hmm. Anne and I wanted, we had questions of our own, and we wanted to answer them. We had no desire to help people. We had no desire to push the boundaries of science or change the world in any way. We just wanted answers to some of the questions that we ourselves had asked. You know, um, Steve, we that, realized, before you do that, I, I found that intriguing because in your mission statement assumes that ghosts exist. Um. It, it, it absolutely acknowledges the fact that the human experience that's called ghosts exists, yeah. Oh, uh, that's cool. That people, that people have experiences. Uh, people have been reporting ghosts and paranormal experiences for millennia. And for that reason, and that reason alone. In fact, Anne and I had had our own experiences. And we wanted some understanding, some explanations. And uh, we thought it was all pretty cool, and we wanted to see some more. Like, yeah. we, never ha we never had any desire, to, as I said, to change the world. But we realized very, very early on um, that simply bumbling around in the dark, messing about, and randomly wandering aimlessly around buildings was never going to satisfy our curiosity or provide any answers for us. Uh, and, and worked as a pharmacy technician at the time, um, and had a, a strong interest in science. I also had a strong scientific background. 
Uh, and we realized that there was indeed a method that did work, that we both trusted, that we could both uh, understand. This very, very, I mean, science is a very simple series of um, steps. You, you take small logical steps and you use each step to progress to the next, to the next experiment or next test that you do. And by that, we hoped that we would gain some answers to the questions that we are, that we'd set ourselves. And uh, we we chose the group's name uh, simply to reflect that that desire to do something uh, properly, as we used to call it. Uh, it's it's predominantly uh, common sense mm-hmm. was our, is our mantra the use of common sense and not rushing headlong into explanations. We were incredibly fortunate. The time when we founded the group, um, we weren't we weren't cursed with the internet and we weren't cursed with social media. So we were we were able to go along to a location and uh, we were we were able to spend time at the location and then importantly we were able to spend a lot more time going through what we'd gathered going through the notes that we've made going through the recordings that we'd obtained and considering all of the possibilities we had no pressure to say anything on social media the next morning or demonstrate our astounding evps well quite frankly we never had any but um there was none of that pressure. We could take months to work our way through an investigation. And it was a very it, enjoyable time. Mm-hmm. And so how did you, I assume there was, it grew from more than just you and Anne. How did you screen your, your, your additional uh, members? Well, it, the group wasn't formed. It was formed by Anne and I, but it actually formed uh, the core of its original members came from the uh, split in the original paranormal team. Some of the more... So, so how many were there in originally? Uh, originally, we took four of the people, so making six in total. Oh, that's good. Good size. Um, and we decided that a group should, should have... Uh, w- w- we set out several mantras right at the start. One, that there would be as few rules as possible. <laughs> um, because... We've seen groups getting burdened down with committees and all that sort of nonsense that goes with committees and job titles and descriptions. We decided, therefore, that we would have as few rules as possible. There were no membership fees. We selected people, um, any newcomers to the group, on the basis of that they had demonstrated in some way uh, that they had a genuine interest in understanding the phenomena and the nature of the phenomena. We didn't look for qualifications. We weren't interested whether they they were a, a, a quantum physicist or whether they were a, a homemaker. We just wanted somebody who was passionate about understanding this thing we call ghosts. And that was that was how we kept it, and we kept it that way for a number of years. Uh, but what we did discover quite, quite uh, after after a few years, we we discovered that there were people turning up who would only turn up when there was a new and exciting location to be visited, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and then they disappeared. Yeah, and and so what we 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 went to the group and we said, what are we going to do about this problem? 
Um, you know, where, where sh- it's the, the tasks, the jobs that need doing are falling to the same individuals time after time after time. And we've got people who are just clearly joyriding for the spooky night out. So the group suggested that we impose a membership fee, a one-off payment, which is still still in place to this day, which was equivalent to two spooky nights out. That's how they decided um, the rate. And it, it's never changed. It's always, it's always been £100, which you pay, and that's a one-off payment forever. Um, plus, of course... So where does that money go, Steve? And that goes, it goes into a general fund, which we used to... For example, uh, pay a venue, pay a location, upgrade equipment, buy batteries for equipment, whatever we needed it for. Really, it was a general, okay. a general purpose fund. Fun, yeah. uh, the other, the other thing that we decided very early on is that Anne and I had decided were quite firm about the principles that we were going to use going forward. That we were going to use a certain. Um, number of methodologies all derived from science good scientific practice like we learnt it at secondary school at high school whereby you lay out your experiments you lay out how you're going to do it uh, you define the steps that you've taken uh, you you put down the results and then you reach a conclusion or you keep going around until you do and if anybody didn't like it then they weren't you know, they could leave. It was our it was our gang, and we were going to do it this particular way, and um, that led to the the team having two coordinators. That's myself, and that's Anne Winsper. And Anne and I have always decided all of the policy for the group. There has never been a committee, uh, so we get to make all of the decisions. We do listen uh, to the members, and we do try to. Uh, be as inclusive of, as possible, but we don't throw this open to one of these sort of wishy-washy democratic decision-making processes whereby you never reach a, a, any decision at all. Um, so ultimately, Anne and I take all of the decisions. Uh, in relation to our roles, which continue yeah. to this day and have, have, have never have, changed... We at the Ghost Project have a very uh, structured thing, basically. Yeah, it, it absolutely helps. It's Ron's way or the highway. And I absolutely agree. There is no place in, in good quality research um, for committees. Mm-hmm. And democracy. It's not, it's not that we don't listen, though, right? We still listen. No, to of, course, of course we listen, because people have much better ideas than we. We've never been in a position whereby we've never stolen a good idea if we've come across one. When we've worked with other groups and we've worked with them on many, many, many occasions, if we see an idea that's better than an, you know, something we're doing, we will happily steal it and use it. Yeah. Uh, I, it's not plagiarism. It's just... You know, there is a good sound method and we're going to adopt every good sound method that we encounter. And so it's always been, you know, our, our, our policy to allow people within the group to say, uh, could we have done it better that way? But what, we di- what we've never allowed them to do is to do that during um, an investigation session. We wait until the debrief, because if we right. suddenly change horses midstream, it can become very disruptive for people. So... People are, have always been encouraged to come forward and say, I think you could do it better. Have you thought about doing this? 
and then we will consider it. And we have often adopted many of the ideas and suggestions, but we've also been around the houses for a, a lot of years now. And so, you know, some of the ideas now that people suggest, we say, you know, we can turn around and say, oh, we tried that in 2008, it didn't work. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so it, it, nothing's really changed. We've just plodded on and we've always focused on getting um, the investigation done. That's always been our priority. Now, things have changed in, in the last decade because... And it came about, actually, it's a parapsychology conference and I attended in Liverpool, Liverpool University. And there was a group of parapsychologists and Anne and I uh, uh, sat at the back and they were discussing things that we knew a great deal about because we had, by that point, spent more than 15 years um, in, in haunted locations and actually running experiments and tests. Mm-hmm. But we were treated like pariahs. We were patted on the head and there, 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 you're just the ghost hunters and largely ignored, which which kind of got our backs up a little bit. And we decided that what we needed uh, for credibility was the same qualifications that these people had. Um, and that drove us towards a more academic approach. Really? Uh, and also, it, it drove us to pre, to to publicly um, or, or more properly document some of our investigations. We did already have in place a reporting. You know, we produced a report for every case that we did, a copy of which always went to the client. Um, but we we changed it to reflect a more academic standard um, in the. Not in, the, not in the hope, but in order to be recognised by these people who call themselves parapsychologists and anomalous psychologists. And that's, that's sort of been our main direction, because around about the same time that we encountered these parapsychologists at Liverpool, paranormal research itself was also changing with the advent of social media and the television programmes with that we all know and all ad- admire on television today. So we were left with, well, we couldn't really get into many of the locations that we used to get into, and uh, not at least not without paying big bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the market was becoming ever more saturated as more and more groups started to form uh, and as interest grew. And so we, we gradually, without really... Uh, deliberate, you know, it was never a deliberate policy to move towards uh, an academic side. Um, but what's always been what's always been uh, nice for us, I guess, is this idea that we we have been recognised for the quality of our results, right. rather than you know, there are many groups who, who make a noise on social media and who demand likes and who demand. Uh, shares and who are constantly posting their thoughts and their latest findings on social media. But parascience has never. We've we actually we've been rubbish at social media. Uh, well, we've never really been able to. Well, we've never really promoted ourselves on it. We've never really engaged with it, and we've never really understood how it works. Um, so we've just concentrated on doing the job that we knew how to do. Um. Yeah. And as it turned out, 
that's what that's where people began to realize that or recognize that what we were doing was you know had some significance and was producing results that were interesting to other people to our peers and so uh, gradually over the years we've we've become more and more uh, accepted by the academic side um and at the same time we've drifted further and further away from the paranormal investigation community because these these the modern generation of ghost hunters of course are led by zach and are led by by tv yes yeah and they haven't heard of parascience parascience to them is not even a name i mean a great majority of these people have never heard of the society for psychical research or asap or any or any of the other uh, organizations that have been around for 100 years and to expect them to have even heard of a little paranormal group with 12 members uh, is naive and you know it, it, they don't know who we are mm-hmm. uh, but it is interesting to notice that quite a lot of the groups when they post stuff um are either replicating stuff that we were doing 15, 20 years ago, or are directly, without ever mentioning it or giving credit to... Um, the word to uh, yeah, basically. So, uh, yeah, that's what parascience is and does. And um, I think year on year we get less and less well-known um, because we've we've stayed quiet all these years, we we've never really we've got a Facebook page and we've got a Twitter account and we've got a website, but we we don't really use them very much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not never be, really been that important to us. But okay. for a very small paranormal team, you know, we have made some contributions. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's intriguing that all the. There are starting to follow, as you mentioned earlier, the TV shows as the uh, the way of doing the the proper way of doing things and so forth, and and everything that is shown on TV is is considered as the truth. And uh, you and I both know that uh, it is entertainment first, and whatever else second. <laughs> so it makes it difficult, but. Anyways, uh, yeah, so that's, that's for those who don't know about parascience, that's a good little uh, snippet into it. And uh, where do you see parascience going in the future? Um, no, it's a, uh, year on year. Uh, it's a question we ask, Anne and I are constantly asking this question of each other. You know, what's going to happen in the future? And the answer used to be, well, we'll keep doing what we're doing, and eventually... Um, the pendulum will swing and things will go back to normal. The bubble will burst. These people, you know, a lot of the, the people who are involved in the field now will move into UFO research or something else to, to entertain and amuse, them, uh, amuse themselves and go away. Uh, but they don't, and it hasn't, and it isn't. So what we, what we, uh, we think now the future of parasites lies is more in promoting good practice, encouraging the amateur researchers, the amateur investigators, because after all, that's what we are, uh, to raise their game so that they too will gain the recognition that we did. I mean, we were in a position uh, at that conference of there, there, you're just the ghost hunters. And we raised our game and we, we played a little bit by their rules in how we produced 
the reports and how we went about what we were doing, we adapted and we adopted the techniques um, that, that uh, were expected. If in order for our work to be recognised and to encourage others to do exactly the same because all of the great discoveries in science have often come from amateurs particularly in areas like astronomy and archaeology and some of the other uh, sciences and I, I genuinely believe hand on heart that any breakthroughs we've got you know every weekend there are hundreds of people both sides of the Atlantic spending time in haunted buildings mm-hmm. now they they are producing the results, but unfortunately, because of the methods that they're using, the results are not standing up to scrutiny and are being derided even by their own peers. But more importantly, the academics are not taking anything that they're doing seriously. Well, and, and, and I'll fear there's the part about their own peers. And I think that, unfortunately, is, is some type of uh, like a jealousy in the field where, well, we know we're doing it right. And they couldn't possibly, if they got results, uh, be doing it right. Oh, it's it's damn near impossible to train the ghost hunter um, because, in fact, I, I've got a, a talk uh, coming up in September um, on that very subject. Is it is it pointless to even try and train people to in, conduct investigations? Because, in all honesty, when you look at the comments, whenever a training course is promoted on on social media or uh, on the internet, the response tends to be from the from the large majority of people. We don't need training. Who are you to tell us what to do? I've been doing this for years. Um, I am a naturally gifted psychic. Uh, there are no, and the favourite one, of course. There are no experts in the paranormal. Ah, uh, yeah. But of course, that does that fails to recognise that most paranormal investigation relies on me- measuring the normal. So you're measuring temperature, you're measuring sound, you're looking at light in the form of photography or some other. Um, way of measuring it they're all perfectly well under sub branches of science so of course you can have expertise and qualifications and both Anne and i have qualifications in these areas of environmental monitoring and measuring uh, now they're absolutely right i suppose that there are no experts in the paranormal because we can't even properly define what a ghost is but you can have a lot of expertise in um under working in that field of investigation Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I know we're ready, we're coming up to the break, but uh, yeah, I find that uh, for the, all the years I'm doing it, how things and how uh, how competitive it is. How oh, it's terrible, and it, and they, right. there's no. They keep finding the same things uh, at the moment. There's a huge debate going on on social media about orbs. Now, as far as I was aware, this phenomenon was tested and put to bed 10 years ago. Um, but you have a whole new generation who are discovering the phenomena again. Um, and are, some of them are questioning it. Some of them are blindly accepting it. But interestingly, this time around, none of them seem so, to be testing it. And that note, we'll have to tune a plan. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet and Pararex Radio. And we'll be right back after the following messages.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. to Ghost Chronicles International, an oasis in a world of craziness, where Donald Trump is still the United States president, and Britain is being warned of the end of days as we get ever nearer Brexit and leaving the EU. But we're still here, and we're still holding the fort together. There you go. There you go. So anyways, I do want to mention a, a couple things, and... Uh, thing I do want to mention that's kind of a, a sad note in a way is that Aunt Bell, of course, died on Friday, mm-hmm. the, thir- Friday the 13th at the age of 72. And, and uh, for those who don't know Aunt Bell, he, he, of course, was the host of Coast to Coast for years and years and years. And one of the leaders in, in paranormal radio, uh, he, he brought the paranormal to so many people. Uh, throughout the world. So uh, he passed away, and uh, we uh, send our condolences to his family, of course, and so forth. God bless him. Yeah. Now, well, of course, uh, he has the answers. He now, now knows I, the answers. Well, now, now I'm, I was in the second half of this, I was going to say, I wonder how long it will take until that bell starts coming through to mediums and EVP recorders in your state or town. Well, well, Steve Huff uh, from Huff Paranormal is the one for uh, bringing forward. Um, he brought through the two investigators who were tragically killed a few years ago, um, or in that not, not quite incident. tragically killed, but <laughs> well, well uh, all deaths are tragic to the person. That's true, true. To, true. The, to, to the person involved. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if 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 there aren't investigators out there crass enough um, to and you know fame hungry enough to try for Art Bell. Mm-hmm. But that's not uncommon, though. I mean, the, the, many of the early researches were supposedly came through on ITC and uh, even on early recordings uh, when they passed. Yeah, but at least they were cold. <laughs> <laughs> This is true. This is true. Yeah, I mean, show some respect, guys. Uh, All right, is, uh, I will give you that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, I mean, this is one of the weird things about the paranormal that we we have this conflict of um, understanding um, in, and or rather conflict of information because there are mediums who tell us. Uh, after communing with spirit, that there has to be a period of time in order for the spirit to rest and become acclimatized to its new environment um, vis-a-vis the afterlife uh, before they are able to communicate. However, there are other mediums who give us the complete opposite amount of information. My my own personal belief is is I do believe it would take time to acclimate. just, I mean, it's a whole new experience for the human soul or whatever. Uh, but that's my own personal, based on no, no fact, no information other than my own opinion. Well, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to agree with you because if you change location, I mean, even last week I was, I was away in, in, in Anglesey, and it does take you a few days to acclimatize. Uh, to to a new situation, new surroundings, um, things are you know familiar things aren't quite where you left them or where you need them to be, and it does take you a little time to settle. I agree. Now, one of the other things I wanted to bring up, and this has been happening for well since I started doing this, uh, it's been a common uh, belief in the paranormal and. It certainly has produced, been produced or reproduced, I guess, by many people, and they swear by it. And that is the way that batteries somehow are affected by paranormal activity. Now, I'm going to, before, has this ever occurred to you, uh, or have you had this experience where batteries have gone uh, dead uh, when relatively when they shouldn't have uh, when doing paranormal investigating. No, never. Not once. Not on one single occasion has a. Yes, we've had batteries that have failed, but um, there is always a degree of failure in every you know manufacturer of batteries. But, and the reason the reason we don't suffer from battery failure uh, routinely, like uh, and then blame it on the paranormal is A, we understand battery technology. That's the first and most important thing. A battery is a chemical process contained in a, in a, in a mm-hmm. plastic or metal container. And like all things, there are good ones and there are bad ones. Um, but also we understand you know, how batteries can be affected by um, usage and mm-hmm. also by storage and also by the prevailing conditions. So, for example... Um, you can buy AA batteries, you can buy nickel metal hydride, these NIMH batteries, or you can buy the new lithium polymer batteries. Now, lithium batteries don't have, do you remember the, the dreaded memory effect um, of nickel cadmium batteries? 
Whereas if you didn't let them run all the way down, they would never fully charge up again because they remembered how much charge you'd given them previously. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you store a lithium-ion battery flat, if you let it run all the way down flat and then put it away and then a month or two months or three months later on your next investigation, get it out, charge it up, it will only give you about 70% of its of its charging capacity unless you cycle the battery several times. Um, if you store a metal hydride battery that's flat, it will never it will never get going again. Whereas if you store a, a lithium battery, um, you, you read the manufacturer's instructions, they will tell you the best way to use a battery. And by doing that and by having a protocol in place um, that we adhere to, so every month we have a a number of the rechargeable batteries are recycled. They get put through a, a, a recycling program. Um, and if we're not using rechargeable, say we'll be swapped out. We always start every investigation. Um, if for for example, if it's a non-rechargeable cell in a piece of equipment, brand new batteries. And one of the one of the I said before, we have very few rules in parasites. One of the rules is that you have sufficient batteries to last for the duration of the investigation times two. And a, and a set of spare batteries for each item of equipment that you're carrying or using. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for that reason it's never happened. Myself and, and many parallel investigators, and uh, I've always found that intriguing to have that experience. Uh, in fact, just yesterday when we went out to the lighthouse, before I left, I took a recorder and put brand new batteries in. They weren't rechargeable. They were brand new batteries, and it didn't last, you know, a few minutes, and that was it. It just totally drained. Uh, you know, say what you will. Uh, Anne's phone, Anne's uh, cell phone uh, yesterday, same thing. She left my house. It was at 90 somewhat percent. And when she was at the fort, it had dropped down to like 31 percent. So, I mean, we have these experiences. Uh, I remember the very first uh, experience I had, which was, you know, know, a long time ago when I uh, went to shoot some bee footage at a cemetery. And I had six uh, batteries for the camcorders and I should have gotten hours out. And I got 15 minutes out of the entire load that was fully charged before I left. So it's all through the years I I have had these experiences. Now, can I tell you, okay, well, you know, the ghost did that or paranormal activity? No, I just find it intriguing that I I still am plagued by these problems uh, with with batteries and so I have no other way to explain it, saying that I really don't understand it. Well, I, I, I'm not I'm not present when when you have the experience, so oh, I, I know that Steve. I can't offer you an insight, but I can say with a degree of certainty 
that there is a difference in the batteries that New England Ghost, Chron uh, Ghost Project use versus the batteries that Parascience use, because I've seen the batteries that you use. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you do that, we have <laughs> different sets of batteries for different occasions. If we are doing public events, we don't give a crap what batteries we use. <laughs> Well, but I was going to. I was just going to say, I've, I, we do use quality batteries. <laughs> well, that's that, that's fair enough because I can only go by what I've observed, and they were yeah, dollar I, store I, batteries. I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> and, you know, versus Duracell. Yes, the dollar store batteries. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, you, I, I wasn't there. I mean, there are there, there is a lot of people who say. So that, I mean, you you would say that. From what I just said, you you would say, well, you know, you must have. It really was nothing. It was just, you know, circumstances. I, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to say it's nothing. I'm not going to say it's circumstances because I'm not in a position to put it to the test. Okay. But what, but what I can say is that you and I have been investigating for a lot of years. Yep. And you have got uh, a series of methods that work for you, and you've encountered battery drop problems. I have. Now there are. Lots if the of, English batteries are better than ours. Well, they, they're all, they all tend to be made in the Far East. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, well, not with Trump's in here now. <laughs> but in terms of battery problems, yes, we've had batteries that have malfunctioned, but not in a way that was uh, we we thought was unusual or unexpected. Um, however, you know, I, I've been there when people have come up to me um, because they've had a perfectly explainable and normal battery problem. Mm -hmm. But they've made a big deal out of it because it happened in a... Now, last week I was, I was on holiday and I was using my camcorder a, a great deal. And I was also using, uh, because one or two of the days I was sat on the perimeter of um, a military airbase. Mm -hmm. um, now, on one particular day... Uh, one of the set of batteries ran down in 15 minutes. Oh, now, wow. these these are very long, you know, these are very powerful 24, 50 milliamp, uh, milliamp hour mm -hmm. um, loop batteries, which are, you know, very expensive and supposedly the best in their class. Now, the same battery, when I, I cycled it through the charger, has now operated perfectly normally ever since. Um, and had been operating perfectly normally up to that moment when it decided, or, or you know, chemically, it gave me 15 minutes and then decided to pack up. Now, I didn't describe that to any form of ghost. I just understood, you know, that sometimes batteries and their charges, it's a series of chemical processes. Electrons flow into the battery and it's changed, the chemicals inside the battery change, and sometimes something interferes with the process. Uh, there may have been some contaminant, the, there may have been an interruption in the supply somehow, but something caused that battery to not have a full charge and it ran down in 15 minutes from, from, uh, from full. Mm -hmm. or, or, or rather the, the machine telling me it was full, because all the, the inbuilt battery check does is measure the voltage. Right. So, so, for example, with a rechargeable cell, depending on, on the particular uh, chemistry of the cell, it will show a full charge right up to the moment when it's flat. Um, and they do, you know, they give you virtually no warning at all. Whereas an alkaline battery will gradually run down. And so you will see a gradual run down in the voltage. Right. 
So, I mean, there is an essential... The, the, uh, any rechargeable battery will suddenly run out of power because that's a function of what it does. It delivers maximum power right up to the point where it drops dead. Whereas um, an alkaline battery is more like a human, and it just gradually slows down and gets weaker. Sort of like me, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 you know, the, longer it's, the longer it's expected to perform, the worse it gets at it. Right. Um, and So... I- I'm saying you, I, I, I don't have the experience. You know, it's never really happened in a way that I could ascribe it to anything bizarre. I, I, I believe and and that uh, a lot of these occasions, uh, the batteries do run down for any particular reason it, because of what they're doing, because of the locations. And it automatically becomes paranormal. Oh, yeah. uh, when when there may be a natural explanation of it. Uh, I mean, I... For, for instance, one, one way you can discharge a battery very quickly, I mean, in cold weather they don't work as well, but one way, if it's humid or you've taken a device out into the cold night air from a warm um, car trunk or... Or story, or you know, any form of storage, you will get condensation. If that condensation for it forms inside and outside the device, right. that that moisture track along the outside of the battery um, will allow the battery to discharge across itself effectively and shorten shorten its charge life uh, because it's running, it's constantly running itself down uh, through the moisture that's condensed onto the the battery body on either the plastic. Uh, uh, casing of the battery so again the individual climate what you're where you are on any given day at any given time I, or, or, you know and even the you know the the environment at the location changes i've been at local i was at pembroke castle a few years ago and it was a warm and it was a, it was an, a late autumn evening but it was quite a warm evening it started off as t-shirt weather um but a cold front passed over us during the during the late evening, uh, just after it went dark. And within, it was almost like a Hollywood movie. Within about ten minutes, there was a film of quite thick frost forming on the ground and on any sort of items that were left out. Right. And th- that had happened, you know, within within a very short period of time. That the, te- the air temperature had plunged to below zero and allowed the frost to form. And, and the other thing, uh, why a battery can go down is actually the equipment that they are in. For instance, an EDI meter, even though you shut it off, the, the batteries still continue to drain. Oh, and, for sure. Uh, so it, it's, it's, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, because it's an EDI meter, uh, you know, it must be paranormal, uh, you know, it, but it's the piece of equipment itself. And in and, and other, other instances, uh, uh, a piece of equipment ages, uh, and you know you lose a little bit in it. In other words, uh, there may be a, a shot, or you know, wearing mm-hmm. of insulation, or, and you have a drain that you normally oh, no, didn't have when, when you first had it. Absolutely for sure. And what's interesting is your equipment will actually give you a clue um, as to whether it's draining the battery all of the time. Uh, so, for example, if it has a soft switch, so. You, you understand the big you know, sort of on-off switch that goes clunk and disconnects yeah. a circuit. But a lot of modern equipment, most cameras and recorders, for example, have a soft switch 
which is a soft-touch membrane or something, because the machine is always on, waiting and listening quietly uh, in a standby mode for you to press that button. Uh, and then it fires up to full usage. So they don't really ever shut down. And in fact, most of the cameras and recorders that you'll see that the manufacturers will tell you um, that it there is a minimal current draw even when it's switched off and packed away. And if you put it away for... And, you know, with a lot of paranormal equipment, you may not use an item of equipment for several months. But the batteries inside have been quietly running themselves exactly. down. Yeah, uh, in the background, uh, you know, I mean, there's pieces of equipment here that we haven't touched for two years. Mm-hmm. But what we what we do is part of that protocol is we we get them out. Batteries. Well, no, not not in every case because some of them are running clocks or. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but what we do on on with every piece of equipment is on a six weekly cycle. Um, we will take the batteries and we will run them through a charge discharge cycle. It's rather like if you stand your car on the on the forecourt and don't touch it for two years, it's not really going to uh, likely to start. No, whereas, I don't think so. <laughs> where, whereas if you start it and just run the engine for half hour every week, you know you are sending oil and lubricants and keeping the parts in use and working. Right, and and you know on that same note, and we're, and we're talking about EMF and. And having measurements, and a lot of people say, "Well, you know, I had, uh, I started getting these readings by this TV, and it was shut off." And the reality is, it, it's really not shut off. There's still current running through it, and, and and all electronic devices. In fact, here in the U.S., it's a, a big trend by the electric companies and to sell these smart. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, things yeah. which, you know, because all computers and everything else is still drawing energy and still drawing power, even though they're, they're shut off. Do you know what's even weirder? Even if you disconnect them from the mains electric supply, um, say you're getting an EMF from a cable, right. and then you shut off all of the electricity at the main switch to the building, and you will, you can still get in many cases, depending on the type of meter that you're doing using, you also get measurable um, electromagnetic ma- magnetic field. Well, from, some of it's got to do with the capacitors in certain certain pieces well, of equipment. There's, there's that, but also um, as many you know old time radio amateurs will realise that the wiring these these copper wires and metal uh, strips and uh, inside the building are acting as antennas, and your local FM station or your AM sure. station yep, nearby sure. is they are acting as because obviously your building is is grounded. Um, and you have these wires and pipes and metal uh, sort of structures within the building, which are acting as antennas. True. And you can measure you can measure the re-radiated radio frequency electromagnetics from uh, you know the, these ca- the the domestic wiring. One of the one one case we did many 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 years ago, um, and this was you know taught us this very valuable lesson, is that we too had shut down all of the electricity to the building, but we were using for the very first time a new piece of equipment, which could give us the frequency information of the uh, electromagnetic field that we were measuring, mm-hmm. and we realised that what we were actually seeing is the building. Um, resonating the the wiring in the building resonating to the bbc's gigantic um long wave transmitters <laughs> uh which are 70 or 80 miles away 
but they're very powerful, of course, AM long-wave transmitters for the World Service. And the house wiring just happened to be resonating along and receiving the BBC World Service and rebroadcasting it inside the house. <laughs> and that's what you know, that's why we've always advocated since then that if you're measuring electromagnetics, you need to have the frequency information because amplitude just tells you how wet you are, but without the frequency information, you don't know whether it's rain or whether somebody's pissed on you. <laughs> you just know that you're wet. This is true. So, uh, yeah, it's essential that you have the frequency information. Ah, okay, so, um, you still with me? Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah, that, that, it's, it's intriguing. I mean, we, we think that we can do everything and shield everything, and, and we take our base readings, and we think that those can't change by anything other than paranormal ways. <laughs> and, and, and absolutely, we're, we're wrong at times. Uh, oh, yeah. But you know, that being said, at least some readings are better than no readings. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, uh, we talked last week about the fact that nobody does baselines anymore. Um, if you're going to do some baselines, that's great. Um, you know, that's better than nothing. But if you're doing them the day before or four hours before or, or the morning before the investigation, you have comparative readings. Uh, a baseline really should run constantly throughout the whole investigation in fact that's what we do we have our baseline is a, is a running baseline that runs throughout the investigation period um, we also use comparative measurements which are taken um, under similar circumstances to the investigation perhaps the day before or a week before so that we can get a, um, a better judgment call on the location mm -hmm. uh, but yeah I mean most groups don't do baselines anymore they're not very fashionable um, or they make a rudimentary stab at them um, for those one or two groups uh, that still do baseline measurements. Um, and then say, well, it was, you know, when we did the baseline measurements, uh, there was no EMF and now it's off the scale. Well, yeah, but you did your baseline measurements in the morning and now the farmer over the road has turned the milking parlour on because you're there <laughs> in the evening. And look, oh, look, all, your, all the street lighting has gone on or, you know, things have changed. Mm -hmm. So baselines give you something. They give you, you know, a comparison to work from or work against, but they they don't give you, uh, you know, a universal constant by which to judge all of the measurements. Yeah, it's all fascinating stuff. I mean, it's it's so difficult to, uh, you know, to I, I guess to. Some word I'm looking for to rule out natural occurrences. Even you try your best, you still can it uh, is. be influenced by them. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and that's why we do have a method that has been tried and trusted and understood. And it doesn't always provide all of the answers. It does most of the time provide some of the answers. And that's science, the scientific method, the one that we were all taught at high school. Right. So anyways, we are just about running out of uh, time. I noticed that... Uh, oh, it's pizza time. Pizza from the Dead is here. So Right next door to Petucci's. Yeah, <laughs> not much longer. And, of course, Steve is talking about Circles of Wisdom, and Circles of Wisdom is uh, moving shortly closer to the radio station, believe it or not, in, in the Thuins. So 
uh, you know, stay tuned. We'll have more. Uh, we're, having you, we're having you advert. <laughs> we will. You will have a new advert for them, actually. And anyway, so anything coming up, Steve, you want to talk about? Uh, only the release of the Society for Psychical Research commissioned guide to uh, for investigators of spontaneous cases. So it's the SPR, which has been around for 150 years, is about to uh, release a brand new uh, guide to good practice, good and best practice for those people who investigate ghosts. And that's coming out in about two weeks' time. Oh wow, that's you must be excited about that. I'm very excited. I wrote it. <laughs> And I was at uh, Deadwick's in uh, um, Portsmouth yesterday, and uh, I they did had, see you at my favorite lighthouse. They had a reviewed copy of More Ghost Chronicles, so the book is very close to being coming out, uh, which will be out when you arrive, Steve. Yay! Yes. Well, we'll we'll swap copies. Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. So, anyways, have you, got, uh, have you got any coffee tables that need seventy-four page books to prop them up? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I could use that just to balance off the other one. Anyways, <laughs> I also understand that you uh, torched our uh, friends from Scotland. Yeah, Stephen and Vary, uh, Stephen Scott and his good wife Vary, um, who were at Spirit Quest a few years ago, came to uh, came to our part of the world over the weekend, and we we took them sightseeing to some of the spiritual locations. But Stephen and Vary, both being good Scots, don't like bright sunlight. They don't and, see the uh, sun in Scotland. That's why. No, they 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 were very crispy and mm. well cooked by the end of the day. Anyways, this is tune, so we've got to wrap it up. So remember to use your sunscreen. So uh, till then, uh, till next week, uh, this is Ron Kolick saying goodnight from uh, Ghost Chronicles International. Goodnight, God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck. <laughs>